following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. And uh, verses 67 to to 80 is the text that we're going to be in uh, ultimately here. And uh, we uh, we spent the last two Sundays talking about submission to the government. So today we want to dwell on the gospel, all right, and uh, rejoice in in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So we'll be in Luke chapter 1. Now, you know, Luke 2 tends to get all the attention this time of year because Luke 2 tells the story of the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and all those great things, but Luke chapter 1 is a great chapter of Scripture as well. And it's good to remember that um, Luke 1 doesn't just tell us a story of one, it tells us of two miraculous births. And, uh, and actually, you know, Luke's Gospel, and frankly, the entire story of the New Testament, does not begin with Mary. The story of the New Testament begins with Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we're introduced to them in in verses 5 through 7. It says there, "In, In the days of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. So we learn there that Zechariah is a priest. And as well, we, we learn that he and his wife, he's a godly priest at that. And so, if we're trying to pick out who are the perfect people to be at the center of God's plan, Zechariah and Elizabeth are the perfect people. And not just that, like so many other very significant people in the story of the Bible, they are unable to have children. And so, and as well, they're they're older at this point, and so they'd probably long ago resign themselves to the idea that they were never going to have children, and it was just going to be the two of them till, till they passed. And the story, though, goes on to tell us that Zechariah, as a priest, he has this very significant opportunity to, to go into the temple and offer incense. Now, that's, a, that's a big deal. Very few people got to go into the temple, and so Zechariah has this opportunity to go into the temple to, to offer incense, and, and he goes in there to fulfill his priestly duty. And, and when he goes inside that temple, God did something that God hadn't done for over 400 years. God spoke to man. He sent the angel Gabriel, and and Gabriel gives a a, a message from God to Zechariah, and he tells him that he and his his elderly wife, advanced in age, we probably should call her mature wife, tells him that he and his mature wife are going to have a son. Now imagine that, And, and not just that, he tells him, that his son is going to be the prophet who prepares the way for Messiah. That's amazing. I mean, imagine, imagine Zechariah. And he's standing there in the temple to do this priestly duty, and, and he finds out 
that his son is going to be one of the most significant people in Israel's prophetic hope. And, and, if, and if his son is going to be the prophet to prepare the way for Messiah, well, that means that Messiah is coming behind him. And so this is huge. He's excited. He's stunned. He thinks, this is too good to be true. He thinks this can't be true. In fact, he doesn't believe, and so, so Gabriel judges him by making him mute. He says, you will not be able to speak until the baby is born. And, and so, Zechariah walks out of the temple. People are kind of waiting for him. The Bible tells us he's in there longer than he's supposed to be, and, and he can't talk. And he goes home to his wife, and a few weeks later, sure enough, she wakes up with morning sickness, and this is happening. This is happening. The baby bump comes along. And, and so they're going to have a baby in their old age. Now, for nine months, Zechariah can't talk. I mean, man, you know, it's every man's dream, you know, not, not to be able to talk, right? And uh, you have an excuse not to say anything. And, and so he can't talk for nine months, but the whole time he is thinking. He is studying. He is probably in the Word trying to wrap his mind around the significance of his son who is coming. And then finally, after nine months, John is born. And, and, the Holy, and Gabriel opens up his mouth again. And the moment that God looses Zechariah's tongue, the floodgates open. The Holy Spirit fills him. And, and he speaks the beautiful prophecy, prayer, whatever you want to call it, Beginning in verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, Zechariah here, he rejoices in the birth of his son, John. Um, but, but, but he doesn't just look at his son, right? He, he looks past his son, John, to the significance of this moment in, in, in human history. That, that Jesus, the Messiah, the baby in Mary's womb. And remember that, that they've met Mary and they know what's going on there. So he looks past his son, John, to think about the baby in Mary's womb that's going to be born shortly thereafter. And he glories in God. 
And he calls you to share his joy that Messiah has come. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to challenge you to rejoice in the salvation that Jesus has provided. The Savior has come. And if you've never received that salvation, I pray that that you will today receive the greatest Christmas gift you could ever get, which is a new relationship with the Savior, forgiveness of sins. So the birth of Christ is good news. But but to really appreciate that the good news, that the light of, of what Jesus has brought, you first have to appreciate the darkness. The darkness into which Jesus came. Now, my favorite part of this whole, uh, this whole hymn, or whatever you want to call it, is verses 78 and 79. It says, but, it says that, that Jesus will come because of the tender mercies of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. You know, when Zechariah was a priest, Israel had endured darkness and death for a very long time. By by Zechariah's time, Israel had had been in captivity for for 600 years. So for 600 years, they hadn't been free. They, They had endured foreign abuse, oppression, and very heavy taxation. That is a long time to be oppressed. And a a godly man like Zechariah understood that that all of that oppression was fundamentally due to Israel's spiritual darkness. Jesus will compare the nation of Israel to a whitewashed sepulcher, a whitewashed tomb. A tomb that looks really pretty, painted, beautiful on the outside, but inside it's full of rotting flesh and dead bones. That's what Jesus said the people of Israel were like. They were hypocrites. And so Zechariah understood that. He felt the darkness. Israel was spiritually lifeless. Rome Rome hung over their head like a dark cloud. And God hadn't spoken to the people of Israel in 400 years. Now, Now, we're grateful that we live in a free country. We don't have a foreign power over us. But we feel that darkness too. Our world is broken. And abuse, violence, oppression, they're everywhere. This is a messed up place. But but even more importantly, the Bible says that you were born under a cloud of sin, darkness, and death. You're a sinner. And your sin separates you from God. And no matter how hard you might try, no matter how much of an effort you might make to be a good person and to live the right way, you can't bring yourself to God. Darkness and death hang over all of our heads. Even on your best days, even on your best days, you lose your temper. You love the wrong things. You hurt the people that you love most. The Romans says that All have sinned. And the wages of all of our sin is death. So Zechariah understands that Israel needs help. They need grace to change them from the inside out. They needed a Savior. And so does everyone in this room. 
You cannot save yourself. All of us need a Savior to rescue us from darkness and death. And the very best part of the Christmas story is that God sent a Savior for you. He sent someone to rescue you from your sin. So so Jesus' birth, Jesus was born into tremendous darkness. But when He came, He brought great light. He brought light into the darkness, the dawning of a new day. Now folks, that is the good news of the Gospel. The center of the Christian message that, that when the world, as verse 79, was sitting in darkness and the shadow of death, God did not turn His back on us. He didn't leave us to just spiral into further misery and and oppression. No, instead, verse 78 says that God just demonstrated tender mercy. Tender mercy. It says there that, that based on the tender mercy of God, Jesus came into the world. Now, the little translation of tender mercy is bowels of mercy. And that sounds really weird to us. And kind of strange and kind of gross, frankly. But, but the ancients, they, they typically, they oftentimes used your bowels to, to represent the deepest emotions that you feel. And, and we know that feeling, right? When something really strikes you, you feel it in your gut, you know? And, and it, it feels tight or, or, or something like that when, when you feel a strong emotion. And, and so the point is, is that the Christmas story began in the deepest soul, the deepest parts of who God is. The Christmas story began with overwhelming mercy and compassion from God. So God didn't send Jesus half-heartedly. Well, I said I have to do this. I guess He has to go. No one manipulated the Father into sending Jesus into the world. No, instead, God loved you when you did not love Him. He pursued you when you never would have pursued Him yourself. The Christmas story begins in the tender mercy of God. A heart of God for sinners like us. And God's mercy is as strong today as ever. So so it doesn't matter how you've sinned against God. It doesn't matter what you've done, how you've failed, how how broken you may be. You are not beyond the reach of God's mercy. God's mercy is rich. It is full. And God is ready to forgive any who come to Him for forgiveness. And so, so praise God that, that the, the inspiration for this story is in the mercy of God. And that mercy drove God to create a beautiful sunrise. So again, verse 78 says, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. You ever wondered why did God create the day-night cycle? Like why is it not just daytime all the time? Or, or, or why does God give us such beautiful sunrises? Well, there's multiple reasons we could give for that, but one reason is, is that when you see a beautiful sunrise... God wants you to remember the most beautiful sunrise that has ever occurred. That that Jesus came into the world. He is the most magnificent sunrise ever. 
Now, Zechariah, or he borrows this imagery fundamentally from two Old Testament prophets. First of all, from Isaiah. One of the most famous, well-known Christmas passages we look at is in Isaiah 9. It says there that there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So Jesus is the great light. Jesus came into the darkness and He brought hope to humanity. And as well, the the very last revelation that God gave before Gabriel spoke to Zechariah some 400 years prior, in the very last chapter of the Old Testament, God says in Malachi chapter 4, and, and this is looking in part to Jesus' first coming, but as well, really primarily His second coming. It says, Behold, the day is coming burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. But for you who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. So, so that, that's beautiful imagery. And, and if you pay attention, it's, it's in our Christmas hymns everywhere. That the concept of darkness, of gloom, and and tremendous light that comes into the world. And so understand today that that your sin is like a heavy cloud of darkness and death. But Jesus' birth is like the sunrise from on high. It's more beautiful, more hopeful than, than the most magnificent sunrise And Jesus brought you hope. He brought you life in the darkest night. So Christian, I want to encourage you to remember your own conversion. Because there was a time when you, when your life was dark and hopeless, turmoil, anguish, and then the Spirit of God opened your eyes. It was like the breaking of dawn. It was the most beautiful sunrise imaginable. You received grace. You could see. And you came to God. You were saved. Now sure, your problems didn't vanish. Life didn't necessarily get easier. But you have hope. You have assurance. You have peace. Because the light of Christ shined on you. And maybe there's someone here that you're still bound by that dark night. You came into church today carrying an overwhelming burden of guilt and shame. You might feel hopeless and discouraged. And maybe you don't see any point to your life. Any purpose. Maybe you came to church today trying to earn the favor of God. You thought, you know, I should go to church on Christmas Eve so that, so that I will feel better before God. So that maybe He'll accept me, maybe He'll listen to me, maybe He'll bless me. But, but the problem is, is that there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. Your night is dark and heavy. The shadow of death looms. But see today that Jesus is the sunrise from on high. He is light. So come to Him and rest. Jesus is hope and joy for all who trust in Him. 
and knows well that someday he's going to come again. And Jesus is going to shatter all the darkness, not just some of it. And Jesus is going to fix this world. I mean, the world will never be darker than in the hours just before Jesus comes the second time. But when he comes, he's going to fix it all. He is going to change everything in his creation. He's going to fix everything, and it is going to be amazing. And that second coming of Jesus, talk about a sunrise. I mean, Jesus appears in the sky, the light of his presence is going to be incredible. And so Jesus is the sunrise, and and verse 79 then adds that the light of Christ will will light the way to the path of peace. Oh, sorry, forgot to put that up. The way of peace. Now, so he says there in verse 79, he says that he will come to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, peace can mean a lot of things to us. From just a a casual symbol to world peace to all sorts of things. But we have to remember that Zechariah was a Jew. And and when Jews greet each other, they say shalom. And and when they say shalom, it's a lot more than just peace. It's really the idea of of an overall state of, of goodwill, blessing, rest. It's the kindness of God on your life. And so the way of peace is an all-encompassing state of, of God's blessing, well-being, peace with God. And, and, and it sounded wonderful to Zechariah because, because Zechariah knew that Israel was not enjoying shalom. Their sin had separated them from God. They were in a state of turmoil, angst, foreign oppression. Our society is no better. Depression is a plague on our culture. So many people are depressed. People are increasingly lonely, bitter, and and upset, despairing. There's violence, there's abuse everywhere in our culture. So where can you find peace and hope? Do you want wisdom and grace and God's blessing? Then look to Jesus. Because Jesus, the light of Christ, shines to the path of the way of peace. So folks, we can rejoice today with Zechariah over the sunrise of the birth of Jesus. And the birth of Jesus was the dawning of a new day. A day of light, warmth, peace. And Jesus made the hope and power of the Gospel available to everyone who believes. So so understand today that that we're not just telling or or looking back on an incredible birth story. We are giving thanks for the dawning of a radically new day. Jesus' coming has changed everything. And, And earlier in this passage, Zechariah describes the incredible prize that this coming of Christ has brought. And and of course, Jesus has provided many blessings, but, but he mentions here four of them. And really the central, the core, the heart of it all is that Jesus came to bring forgiveness. Look at verse 77. It says that He came, that Jesus is coming to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, forgiveness is a very, very important blessing of God. 
Because, because every truly good thing that I enjoy is in the presence of God. I mean, all good things are in the presence of God. So I, if I'm going to enjoy His blessing, if I'm going to enjoy the, the best things, I have to be near to God. But here's the problem. God is holy. He is pure light. The Bible says He cannot tolerate any darkness. And me on the other hand, and you on the other hand, we are sinners. Every day, you fall short of God's holiness. You tell lies. You're a jerk. You, you, you don't love people well. And your sin separates you from God. And it demands punishment. So you need a Savior to rescue you from judgment. And to reconcile you to God. And so the central purpose of Jesus' first coming was to provide forgiveness. That our sin could be wiped clean. You know, Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, someday or years later, he will introduce Jesus to the world by saying what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came the first time to take away the sin of the world. He came to die in our place. And on the cross, He endured God's wrath, the judgment that I deserve and that you deserve for all of our sin. And as a result, you can be forgiven. You don't have to pay for your sin. You can be forgiven completely. And you don't have to carry a burden of guilt before God. You don't have to try and pay it off. The Bible says just call on the Lord. So admit that you have sinned. That He is the Lord and that you have sinned against His will. And ask Him to forgive you. And God says, the Bible assures us that when you come to God for forgiveness, for salvation, that He will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. It is gone. God forgives that way. And if, and if you are saved, don't ever take that forgiveness for granted. You know, God is, God is full of mercy. He is full of mercy. And nowhere is that mercy more apparent than in the image of Jesus hanging on the cross. Taking our sins out of the way so that we would not have to face the judgment of God. So praise God for the gift of forgiveness. And forgiveness opens the way for another incredible aspect of the prize, which is salvation. So again, verse 77 says that Jesus was coming to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. So, so by the forgiveness of sins, we can enjoy the knowledge of salvation. So, so when you are forgiven by God, Christ saves you. From, from the judgment that you deserve, and, and from every other consequence of sin. Now that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So, so look at what he says earlier in verses 68 and 69. He, he begins uh, this, this praise section by saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. Now, throughout Scripture, horns always represent strength. 
So you can think of a, of a big bull or, or a big ram who uh, it protects the herd or, or, or stands over the flock. And it does so because it's got these massive horns. This bull's got big horns or this ram's got, the, got them wrapped around. And, and those horns represent strength. And Zechariah's point is that Jesus is not going to provide a weak salvation. You know, it's not just a little bit of salvation, you know, something to kind of help you out a little bit, runs out quickly, can't really do a whole lot. No, Jesus provided a strong salvation. Stronger than all our sin. And a salvation that is mighty to transform your life. So, your life might feel like an absolute disaster. But no matter how terrible your mess might be, Christ is mighty to save. And His blood can wash away all your sin. It can wash away all your guilt. And His resurrection power can change your life. So Jesus came to save you from sin. Praise God for that. He is a great Savior. And if you need to be saved, run to Him for salvation. So Jesus provides salvation. And the next part of the prize that He mentions here is transformation. So, so notice Zechariah's ultimate vision of what Jesus will do for Israel in verses 74 and 75. He says that He is coming to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Now now that's a big deal. Because sin is the great enemy of our joy. You know, Satan likes to tell you that the enemy of your joy is God's law. But the true enemy of your joy is your sin. Is your wickedness. And, and, And so sin... And we see the evidence everywhere that sin is ruining the world. And it promises so much. But the pleasures of sin, they fade quickly into misery, loneliness, and sorrow. And just think, for example, of how many families and marriages and places are just ruined by, by the ravages of sin. But more importantly, sin separates you from God. And the Bible is clear that you cannot break sin's power on your own. That you cannot become holy and righteous by yourself. And Israel's story illustrates that so well. Because God gave them the law through Moses. He gave them all those rules, all those commandments. And they never made Israel holy. They just fell and, and sinned and, and fell on their faces time after time after time. And Zechariah, as a godly man, understood that Israel wasn't going to fix itself. They needed grace. They needed a Savior to come and make them holy. Make them righteous. So so rejoice that, that Jesus did not just come to transform your eternity. He didn't just come to get you to heaven someday. No, He came to change your life today. He came to break the chains of sin. And so when when you get saved, He he doesn't just forgive you of your sins, He gives you a new heart. He gives life, He gives power to pursue a radically new life and a new hope. 
So when you look at that baby in the manger, don't forget that He came to change your life. He came to transform you. And by the grace of God, if you are in Christ, you can live a life of righteousness and holiness. That's a wonderful thing. And of course, Christian, make sure that you don't neglect that part of your Christian life. Jesus didn't come so that you could live a life of selfish pleasure. He didn't come so you could spend the week being a lazy bum, doing nothing, and, and, and being just totally focused on yourself. He came to transform your life. He came to to produce in you the righteousness and holiness of God that glorifies Him and satisfies your soul. So be a servant like Jesus. Love your family. Put away sin and wickedness and ungodliness. Stay out of petty conflict. Be holy like Jesus is holy. And then the final aspect of the prize is that He brought eternal peace. Now this promise was huge for Zechariah because because a big part of his life as a Jew is is just the fact that the Romans are hanging over their heads. And, And so every Roman soldier was a reminder to the Jews that the world is far from what God made it to be. The world is a violent place, isn't it? And the curse of sin has ravished every aspect of creation. All of us are dying. And we all endure suffering and pain. The people are cruel. The world is not how God made it to be. But Jesus is not going to leave this world the way it is forever. He's going to change it. He's going to bring perfect peace on earth. That's incredible. Look again at what he says in verses 70 through 74. He says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that Jesus is going to bring salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. You know, it's been... Over a hundred years now since World War I. And ever since World War I, the, the Western world has been obsessed with world peace. Right? Finding a way to bring peace to the world. And we haven't made much progress, have we? The world's just as violent, crazy, probably more so in some respects than ever before. But in a moment, Jesus is going to do what no human government ever could do. When Jesus appears the second time, when when He touches down on this earth, He will eliminate all evil and every effect of sin. The Bible says that, that He will even reconcile the lion and the lamb. That the lion and the lamb will lay down at peace with each other. The Bible says that, that, that we will beat our swords into plowshares. Because there's not going to be any need for weapons, for self-defense, for violence. Because because Jesus will bring true peace. It's going to be a wonderful day when Jesus fixes everything that's broken. And so understand today that, 
You know, Jesus didn't just come to get a whole bunch of people to heaven. He came to fix everything. To solve every ill. To reconcile all things to himself. So how do you see the baby in the manger? Is it just a cute story? Or do you see Jesus the way Zechariah did? Do you believe that He is the Savior and the only hope for your life? And the only hope for mankind? Some of you are carrying a heavy burden of guilt and shame. You came into church today weighed down with your sin. So see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He can save you. Some of you are weighed down by fear. Sorrow, loneliness, come to Jesus and rest in Him. Do you know that that He has saved you? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you have a home in heaven? If not, the Bible doesn't say that you've got to do something to work your way to God and and earn His favor or meet Him halfway. The Bible says all you have to do is come to God and admit that you have sinned against the Lord. Confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That that He died for for our sins on the cross. That He rose again for our salvation. And then ask Him to save you. And the Bible promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God will forgive all of your sins. Christ will will come to you. He will change your heart. And so you can do that right now. Right now in your seat, you can ask God to save you. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and to give you new life. If you have questions about how to have a relationship with God, your, your head is spinning, there's things that you don't understand, then get help as soon as this service is over. Let us talk to you and share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior. And if you are saved, then slow down today and rejoice with Zechariah in the salvation that God has provided. Now remember that your sins are covered in the blood of Christ. And take courage that you can walk in righteousness and holiness. And take hope in the fact that Jesus is coming again. He is coming again, and He will make all things new. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. And Before I pray and we close the service, I just want to ask if there's anyone here who needs to be saved. Maybe you just now have prayed and asked Christ to be your Savior, or maybe you have questions about how you can be saved. And I'd like to pray for you, and I'd like to seek you out. And so if there's anyone here who's in that position, you need to be saved. If you have questions, can you just raise your hand and so that I can pray for you and seek you out? Is there anyone like that today? Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? You need to be saved. Lord, thank you so much for sending Jesus into the world to save us from our sins. Thank you that he is a good Savior, thank you for the life that is ours. Lord, I pray for any here who do not yet know Christ, that today they would be born again.
And I pray for those of us that know You, that Lord, we would rest in Jesus and His finished work, and that we would live for the day that He comes again with hope and encouragement and strength. And Lord, help us even this week to be faithful witnesses of Christ, bold witnesses of the love that Jesus has brought in the Gospel. In Christ's name, amen.